So 14 months ago since we've done this. A couple little tweaks <laughs> that we're not used to. Um, and uh, appreciate, we're thankful for your grace as we figure this out. Um, okay, should we start then? You guys are tired of wearing your masks, so let's get, let's get this going. Everything okay? Everything's good. All right. Um, we're taking a break from the book of Mark. I felt like if it was a chance for us to be together more together, um, we're hoping for a few more people. A lot of people are traveling. Um, a lot of people just, just don't want to see each other yet, and that's totally fine. Um, but I figured we would take a chance, um, since a good amount of us would be together, to talk about some things that we need to lean into as a community. And and so, you know, this, one of the interesting things with this moment, not only in the life of our church, but in the life of our culture, is that there's just a lot of things happening. It's almost as if, oh, cool, we got the slides back. It's almost as if all the things that were happening before COVID, as far as how people thought and believed and interacted, all the dysfunction and all that kind of stuff, all the frustration, all it hit the accelerator, right? And so the big moment, the big question for me and for a, a lot of other people, um, a lot of other pastors, a lot of other Christian leaders and thinkers is, okay, what next? What does this look like? Like, how do we be the people of God in this moment? How do we... Uh, stay connected in a society, right? Like, how do we stay connected in a society that is, like, hyper-individualistic even more than before and super fractured? Like, how do we, as followers of Jesus, um, how do we stay away from, like, ideology as religion? Like, cultural ideology and, like, political ideology is, is a religion right now. How do we stay away from that? How do we become peacemakers where literally everywhere it seems like there's a war going on, right? A war of thought, a war of masks and how you say certain things. And it's like, how do we do that? And a lot of you are like, I'll just be honest, a lot of you are probably here today going, man, I hope Ryan lays out a plan for how we can meet together as a church every Sunday. And, and, and you're probably going, okay, Ashley, what's your master plan? And uh, that's not today. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about today. Because I, I, as I told you guys, a few, we've been talking about this for a while, but like, I'm more concerned about who we are than how we operate. I'm more concerned with what God is doing in us than if if our screen fuzzes out halfway through a song we're trying to teach you, right? Yeah, that happened. Sorry. But you taught them the chorus, so they were with you on the chorus. So we're more concerned about who we are, though, than how we operate. And I, I just want you to know, like, that's the most important thing right now. And so as some of you know, we're house churches through the summer. We're going to be together once a month. Um, some might be outdoors, some might be in here. We, we're, we're working all that out. Um, but it's about who we're called to be and who, what we're called to do. 
that I'm most concerned about, most excited about. So I just wanted to take a second and, like, just honor our house church leaders um, that have been doing this work, like hosting. Yeah, if we can clap for our house church leaders and online house church for the Hendersons and everything. Like, you guys have done so much to open your home, to consistently show up even when some people don't, and, and just be the church. And, and so one of the metaphors and word pictures I want to talk about today is a pilgrim community. What does it look like to be a pilgrim community? And, and this will be super, hopefully, helpful and, and quick. But this idea of a pilgrim comes from Scripture. It's actually a Greek word, and it's peripademos. And, it's, and it shows up throughout the New Testament, this idea of being a pilgrim. And it actually shows up all throughout the Old Testament. Turns out God has this way of using his people in such a way that sends them on a journey. And it sen- he sends them on a journey that has, it's kind of an adventure to it. There's an escape to it and an adventure to it. And all throughout scripture, God is interested in this. And here's what it looks like. Hebrews 11 actually says that uh, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, actually calls Jesus' followers pilgrims on the earth. And I think that's an important metaphor for us, especially right now. And pilgrims are, it's what the idea behind it is that the world is not our home. That's the first thing. The world is not our home. And the second thing is that we're actually going somewhere. So think about the difference between a hike and a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage has a little bit more of an intention behind it, a little bit more of a spiritual journey to it. So whether you're hiking the Camino uh, or the King's, the King's Highway in Norway, um, there's, there's this spiritual element to what that's all about versus just taking a hike. And hikes are great. But a pilgrimage has a little bit more of a spiritual journey to it. The biblical story is actually of a pilgrimage all throughout the Old Testament. And there's even that language in the New Testament. We think about the Old Testament, Abraham, uh, the Exodus. Um, these are part of the people of God and their spiritual pilgrimage. And God has never grown tired of this Uh, this story in human experience. He's never grown tired of it. And that's why when you hear people's story about how they came to know Jesus and how they came to, um, in a sense, turn their way of thinking, it always has a a journey element to it, right? There's always a story, and it's geographic, and it's all these things, right? And so the life of Jesus, when Jesus says to the 12 disciples over a little bit of time, come follow me, that's, he's, he's asking them to a journey that says, the world is not my home and I'm going somewhere. That there's actually purpose and intent behind it. And so the interesting part about this conversation is the disciples didn't then start attending weekly lectures, Okay? Jesus said, come follow me. He didn't just gather them together and give them a lecture and then send them off. He actually wanted them to follow him like in every area of life. And it turns out that the word Christians used three times in Scripture. It's usually negative. But the word disciples, or what we call apprentices, is actually used 268 times in Scripture. 
And I think that means something because I think to be a Christian, it tends to mean that you're someone who believes a theory. Whereas to be a disciple, to be an apprentice, is actually someone who has the audacity to live out that theory. There's a difference. And this plays a lot into how we want to be. Because Jesus never said, if anybody wants to be my disciple, they should believe me. He actually said they should follow me. And that's to really start to change, in a sense, the orientation of our whole life. And I don't think enough people that claim Jesus as their Savior, their Lord, actually do this. And I think some of that has been exposed. This Jesus' goal was never get the gospel believed or even understood. He was, his goal was to get it lived. And so here's the thing. Here's the heart of what that looks like. Here's the heart of what a pilgrimage looks like. And you and, you and I living our lives every day, in a sense, communicate what pilgrimage we're on. And so this is the three parts of that. The first part is this, the stories you believe, okay? The stories you believe, the habits you form, and the company you keep, okay? So real quick, the stories you believe. We all fall into a narrative structure, and so if you believe the story of power, for instance, in our world, and that power is the central story in our world, then you will start to believe that uh, clinging to control and um, seeing people as benefits and liabilities is part of your story. If you think that desirability is the story, then you will do things to make yourself look better, feel better, and look more attractive to the world. And intellect, if you think it's, it's your story about reading more and, and showing up smarter, then that's going to be part of your story. Scripture tells us, though, that there's a better story about the world. And that the story you live in is actually the story you live out. The, the second part of what it looks like to be a pilgrim is this idea of the habits that you form. And we talk about habits before, and um, we believe really that, that habits are a big deal. And the way, the, the, living the way of Jesus, if you want to live the life of Jesus, you have to up, adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, that our habits are really important. Um, the early Christians, uh, they were kind of a, a mess at times, but the early Christians actually, there's, there's some real... Uh, scholarly work that says that the, the habits that they formed actually was what spoke about who Jesus was to the people around him. This is not on the screen, but let me read this. This is a historian. He says, clearly the early Christians thought that their way of life was important. For lifestyle is not the only product of belief. It is a display of what people truly believe. The Christian's lifestyle embodies their habitus, their habits, the reflexes that reveal the inner character that resulted from their conversion, meaning they lived it. They formed a lifestyle around it with each other. 
And that lifestyle that they formed around Jesus actually was attractive to people. Not the things they said, but the way they lived. And so story and habits are really important, but the really important thing I want to focus on today is the company we keep. Philip Yancey, in one, he, he was asked to give one phrase description of what Scripture was. And he says, it is God getting his family back. That's what Philip Yancey said. I love that. That the story of Scripture is God getting his family back. I mean, if you trace it through the Old Testament to the New Testament, Abraham, and, and then a nation, and then Messiah, and then the disciples. And it's an interesting thing about family, right? Because you don't choose your family. Some of you are sitting with family right now. And <laughs> you don't choose them. You're stuck with them, right? They're biological. They're, you don't choose your family. And what's interesting is when we talk about the family of God, we don't choose our family. We don't choose who, who God, like, draws to himself. God does. And we become brothers and sisters, or we become a family. That's what Scripture says. And so it's easy, here's the thing, it's easy to get really idyllic about the early church, and I do that sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I admit that that's um, something I tend to do, but the early church was kind of a mess. I mean, if you read the early church, outside of a few paragraphs in the book of Acts where it's just like, they were together all the time, and they shared food, and outside of those, I mean, think about the things that we read in Corinthians. I mean, you have um, people like favoritism, and there's this incest part. That's Corinthians. We talked about that on Mother's Day a couple years ago. I just thought I'd bring that back up, moms. Happy Mother's Day. And there's all these things. There's conflict. There's drunkenness. There's drunkenness during communion, which we haven't tried that yet. Um there's false teaching, which we, maybe we've tried. I don't know. You can tell me. There's ignoring the poor. And there's all these. It was just kind of a mess. And, and it was kind of dysfunctional. And Eugene Peterson, I love this. He says that there are no successful congregations in Scripture. <laughs> this is after he translated the New Testament. He, he translates the New Testament, and he's like, you know what? <laughs> No one nailed it. Nobody did. Which is hopefully good news, right? Hopefully it takes a lot of the pressure off because the danger of romanticizing the past, and that includes the early church, and that might even include a church you were in 20 years ago. The danger of romanticizing the past is that the church we want becomes the enemy of the church that God has us in. And, and I think the greatest enemy to what community can look like is thinking about what it should be. Now, we can dream and we can work and all those kinds of things, but the reality is that unless I love you, like exactly where you're at, and I don't demand that you change or grow or become. 
and you give me that same space, unless we do that, we're kind of lost. Now, we can push each other and encourage each other, but unless I, unless I give you space to do that, we can't, we can't be a pilgrim community. You cannot love someone if you're trying to recreate them into your ideal. And so when you and I hear the words of Jesus to come and follow, he sticks you and I with each other, and we're on the same pilgrimage, and he doesn't, we don't pick each other. He picks, he picks the crew. Like, think about the disciples. You have zealots. You have a guy who's basically a, um, a sellout, <laughs> Matthew. You have all these different people, and, and Jesus picks them and says, all of you follow me right now. You and I don't make the guest list. He does. And if you want to follow him, you are stuck with the other people on the journey. You're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. So the question is, if I will participate, it's not if I will participate in the family of God. It's actually how will I participate in the family of God? Because we don't choose each other. And the, and the other question is, like, am I going to love you? Am I going to love them? Am I going to make space for their story? Am I going to choose compassion? Am I, I going to keep up with them, even though we're kind of separated in, in different places right now? Am I going to push through the awkwardness of seeing, like, some of the kids today were like, this is, like, really weird being together. We don't even know how to talk to each other. Like, I heard one of the kids say that. I'm like, that is so awesome. Like, we don't have, like, the honesty as adults sometimes to say that. Like, it's weird talking to you right now. This is weird for me. I'm usually talking to a camera. So am I going to be, I mean, think about it in family terms. Am I going to be that brother that shows up only on holidays? Am I going to be the uncle that brings up controversial topics and hijacks the conversation? right? Am I going to be the daughter that shows up when she needs something, but she's totally uh, radio silent when everything's going fine in her life? Am I going to be that cousin that keeps the family name, but that doesn't want to have anything to do with us outside of it, right? Those are the things that I'm thinking about for us. See, I think the big danger for us right now is distance. It's a big danger, because when you are distant from somebody, you can, you can let little stories and little expectations and you can make assumptions and, and you can put off making things right when you have distance with somebody. And so if God in Scripture, he's known as agape, which is the supreme sacrificial love, and koinonia, which is a Greek word for agape shared, if God is family, we see that through the Trinity. So uh, when we participate in family, we're actually participating in God. We're actually participating in his love for us. And so finally, some of you are like, finally, we're getting to Scripture. Um, Psalm 33, which, Barb, thank you for reading. It's the Song of Ascents. And there's two main metaphors in this psalm that I think are really important. The first one is oil. Listen to this. 
how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Okay, this comes from Exodus 29, when Aaron was uh, anointed priest. And as you know, Aaron was very flawed. And if you didn't know this, you should read Exodus. <laughs> Aaron, he's a good dude, but he's also flawed. He helps make the golden calf, the whole thing. But the dominant imagery in the Old Testament for the Spirit of God was oil, was anointing oil. And the, I, we don't really get this. We don't pour oil on each other. It would be weird, um, potentially, <laughs> I guess. Um, but the idea behind it is like the warmth, the soothing, the healing, the cleansing. And, 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 and much of it, there's a, we, we won't get into today, but this idea that Aaron was anointed for his work. And then the New Testament calls you and I, anybody who follows Jesus calls us priests. So the New Testament calls us. And this idea of unity basically would be this, that you and I would actually take seriously the fact that you and I are priests for each other. That that's how we serve each other, is as priests. That we actually, this, the New Testament calls us saints as well, which is always kind of a tricky word right now. Um, it's a, a, a term to describe church community in a whole bunch of different places. Churches in the New Testament, like remember all those messed up churches we talked about earlier? A lot of times Paul or Peter will open a letter saying to the saints at... So at the same time, they're just kind of messed up, dysfunctional, conflict, all this different stuff, getting drunk at communion. But he calls them saints. He's always raising the bar, saying, this is who you are. That's what Peter says, you're a priesthood. You are a group of priests. And then, so the first image is oil. The second one is dew. And it goes like this. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. This is, he's talking about what it looks like to be in unity together. For, the, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. This idea of Mount Hermon, uh, kind of a desert climate, but Mount Hermon in the morning would just be just soaked with dew. And the dew would actually begin to kind of like be small little creeks. It would dry up by the afternoon, but in the morning they'd be running. and would actually water and, and bring life. And the author's actually saying his unity is like dew on Mount Hermon, meaning it's this idea that we actually look at, and they would look at Mount Hermon with hope and expectation because of the water that would, that would uh, you know, nourish their crops. And so this idea is that you and I would look at each other with hope and expectation. That's what, this, that's what unity looks like, that we actually see each other Hope with hopeful eyes that you and I are all on a pilgrimage and we all have pilgrimage stories and right now that's happening and we can't forget that. That in the midst of this crazy year of being separated and isolated and in house churches and, and many of us have gone through really difficult things and some of you have, have, have seen some wounds open up in your life and, 
or maybe questioning things or whatever, like that's the pilgrimage you're on. And that we need to look at each other and, and with hope and expectation and care for each other like a priest would. And so this summer, what I want us to do is lean into that. As house churches, I want to encourage you to open up your home, your table for somebody in this place to get to know people. I know it's hard, it's awkward, it's weird, but like push through it. To be together as much as you possibly can. I think one of the reasons I'm, I'm talking to a lot of pastors these days about how things are going and everybody's like, okay, I don't have enough volunteers and everybody's traveling. Right? I mean, don't you feel that, right? Like, I don't know if I could step back in and volunteer every week, and I want to get out of town. <laughs> I know. Totally, Neva. Yeah, Neva wants to get out of here. And so I want you to travel. I want you to be with family. I want you to reconnect with people you haven't seen in a year. But don't miss this either. Like, like we need you. Each other, we, we need each other. And so I have a couple of quick things for us. These are a couple next steps. Um, because we really have to recover the wonder for God's work in each other. A couple of next steps. The first one is, I know this is a, it's a weighty word, but it's repent. And the reason why it's a next step, well, let, me read, let me read Ephesians 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander. Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Remember, the word repent actually means to change your mind, change the way you think about the world, change the way you think about each other. And so my question for us, is there any bitterness is there any uh, heavy-hearted bitterness and anger towards a brother or sister? And that might be someone here in this room. That might be someone who's not here. That might be someone in your family who's a brother and sister in Christ. If there's any bitterness or malice, if there's any like, low-level anger, if there's any desire to not be with, near that person or to not respond to that person, or to write someone off, or to draw a conclusion while keeping a distance from them. If there's anything like that going on, <laughs> my guess is there is. We've got to deal with it. Repent to change your way of thinking. Uh, a famous pastor named John Wimber talked about repentance. And he said, repentance, it's the way in and it's the way on. Repentance is our way into the family of God, but it's also the way we continue on. And the second step I want to talk about is being engaged, to engage, to repent and to engage. Acts 2, you know, the really flowery section of what it looks like to be the church. It talks about they were, they were all in together. And we and I kind of goofed around with that. They met together and they shared, and you know, it sounds like a like a hippie commune in the '60s. But everybody was all in. Everybody was all in. They wanted to be together. They wanted to worship God together. They wanted to have meals together. They wanted to to 
cluster up and then to go out and care for people. Now, here's the thing. They had no meeting space. They were opposed, but they were a church on display in a really an uninterested world. And I think that's kind of the direction for us. Because Jesus, uh, Jesus said, you, you, the, the world will know you are my disciples. Um, and he didn't say, if we go to a church building. Um, he didn't say, you'll know, uh, the world will know you're my disciples if you complain a lot about masks and meeting spaces. He says, you will know, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you bend over backwards for one another, if you forgive one another, if you chase each other down, if you listen to each other's story, if you see each other with hope and expectation. And so the question, I might just throw this out there. What if there's no better future of being the church in your imagination or mine? What if there's no better way to function as the church? What if it's just you and me what if it's just us and all our good and our bad, all our highs and our lows, all our blind spots and our failures? What if it's just what we have right now? What if that's it? What if God's calling us to that? And I think he is, and it's this shoulder-to-shoulder pilgrim journey. And So I'm going to pray, but we're going to continue on like this is a house church. And I got this mic over here. And I'm going to ask a couple questions, and I would love to get some of your input. And then we'll sing, and then hang out, okay? God, thank you for the opportunity just to be together as a, as a whole community again. I feel like we're like a third of a community right now. But God, we miss these days, and yet we long for who you're forming us to be. And so, God, for all of our friends, all of our family who are traveling, who are out and about, who are camping, who are not quite ready to be in a group this size, and God, maybe there's some pictures of faces and names that are coming to mind. God, will you provoke us to reach out to them? to care for them, to listen to them, to be a priest to them. God, will you show us what it looks like to be a community that opens up our homes for each other, forgives each other, believes the best about what you're doing, has patience for each other. In a world that doesn't have much patience, Right, we show us the way forward. We pray these things in your name. Amen.